Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Hi, and welcome back to The Coaching Show. This is Alex Terranova, and you know that because this voice sounds different than Christopher McCullough's voice. It's, it's more sultry. It's more docile. It's calming. Maybe you don't like it. I don't know. Who am I to? I don't know what you like and what you don't like. I know that you're here. You're listening to The Coaching Show. Christopher is on vacation. Thank you for being here with us. Um, I'm excited to talk, to, to have this conversation today, because normally we have, you know, I'm the co-host. When I'm filling in for Christopher, we usually have another co-host. And this time we're actually going to talk to our, who's been our kind of replacement co-host as our guest today. So let me just quickly, um, if this is your first time listening, um, the coaching show, we talk to the brightest minds in coaching. I'm Alex Terranova. You can find me at thedreammason.com. You can also find me on Instagram where I'm constantly dropping like little gems of mindfulness. And that's Inspirational Alex. I wrote a book called Fictional Authenticity. You can pick that up on Amazon. And today we're going to talk about everything like Pride Month. Um, how do I even want to say this? Like we're going to talk about how um, how coaching and um, the LGBTQ community like can intersect or like where there's things we can learn we're going to kind of dive into this because it is the end. We're recording this at the very end of pride month, but we wanted to do something to, um, I don't know, create a platform and a voice for the month and actually, and learn something. So our guest today, who you, if you've been listening, know from past episodes is Craig Cassie. Craig is a professional executive life coach. It sounds extra special when you put that executive in there, doesn't it? And he's also a coach trainer and he's a sex coach. He's, he's committed to supporting clients, create abundance, adventure, and authenticity all over their lives. You can find him on Instagram at Craig Cassie Jr. And I'm just going to spell it for people or I'll just spell the Cassie C. What is it? C A S S E Y Jr. And the and you can find him on his website at Craig Cassie. And again, it's C A S S E Y dot com. What's up? How are you doing? I'm good. Happy to be here. How have you been, Alex? I'm good. I'm good. I'm having a good uh I'll give you I'll give you one little one little gem of my week. Uh in therapy last week, my therapist reflected that I'm terrible at receiving. And now we could extend this. You're a sex coach, so we could talk about this. You and I have actually talked about this, but yeah. not, we we weren't just talking about sex. Me and my therapist were talking about how when she compliments me or reflects growth or something, I just slap it away. Like I can't be with with the compliments. Um, we looked at how in relationships, I'm often usually the like the one who's giving and taking care of and not being received in in romantic or sexual situations. Typically, it's the same. I'm not I'm not great at receiving. Um, and she sent me on a week long, like, Hey, go receive, go practice receiving. And immediately after I ran into somebody who wanted to take me out to a very expensive dinner as a thank you, which was so uncomfortable to say yes to. And then at the dinner, I was like, can I buy the drink? Can I like, and he, and this guy was like, no, 
I'm paying for everything. And I, and, and it was, it was amazing and it was tough to be with. And then last night I had two friends come in town that I haven't seen for three years. Um, and same thing. I picked them up at their hotel. We went out for drinks. I'm like, let me get this round. And they're like, no, you're not paying for anything. And I'm like, I told them the story and I'm like, this, like, look at this universe pushing me into being forced to, uh, to receive and be uncomfortable with it. Oh gosh. The therapist though clearly has a direct link to the universe. They planned this for this week to go this way. So you need to reach back out and say, what did you do? And then send me more. That's hilarious. Yeah, I know. What else? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. And it's also uncomfortable at the same time. Like it feels really good to know that somebody wants to like take care of you, like eat, whether it be like buying you dinner or like, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know how to be, I'm like sitting and I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. What do I do? How do I like, I feel like saying thank you isn't enough, isn't enough. And like, I don't know, it's, but it totally, I can see it goes back to like, not good enough, not deserving, right? Like it comes back to those like beliefs that I don't believe about myself consciously as an adult, but that stem from childhood. Yeah. What are you learning being on the other side now of two unexpected days of receiving? Um. I think people like to do it just like I like to provide and give. Right. So it's like just the same thing. I like people like to do that. I also think that we're so caught up and like, we have to do right. Like these are doing culture that, that when somebody does something for us, so be it, maybe it's something really big or something little, there's this need to like, feel like we have to do something, give something. It's like, we have to give something back. Right. Yesterday I was like, oh, I should write him like a really nice thank you note. And like, I can do that. Right. It's not about whether I do it or don't do it. Um, But like this feeling of like, I have to. Um, And like, I can't just receive. Um, I, I think it would be really nice to be, I think it would be really nice to be able to just receive, especially when it's like compliments or even with like you, my own successes. I love, I'm curious about you. Like when I do something that I would consider success in my life and my business, I can't even receive the enjoyment of it. I'm on to like, I got to do the next thing or another one or, or take it up a notch. Yeah. No, I'm an expert in receiving for approximately five seconds. <laughs> when it comes to my accomplishments, I mean, I was a, a D1 track athlete and I can still remember if, I didn't get first place NPR at the same time. Then almost all my enjoyment was gone the moment I walked off the track, which is such a sad way to live. Like I was good and I enjoyed the sport, but um, by my senior year of high school, at least like I was winning left and right. And there was no more joy unless I was personally improving. Um, And I got to the point where like I chose other avenues to live in life because track just wasn't uh, doing it for me. And looking back at it, that was really the fact that I just had this huge performance context where if I was not always every single day, day in and out, like moving forward in a way that I could see, then it wasn't worth it. So for me now, my relationships, you brought up, you know, receiving and feeling like you have to write a thank you. I have a threshold for how much, um, unadulterated, relentless giving I'm able to receive before I try to actually stop it because internally my experience is, well, I now feel like I have to, or I want to, or I need to give back to, to match this thing. So that's, that's the place where I currently still experience tension, even 
two years into a really healthy and happy loving relationship, like I still find myself using humor sometimes to stop something oh, from yeah. giving yeah. a great deal of affirmation. And my partner is like, why do you got to do that? I just want to be lovey-dovey. And I'm like, right. And I'm going to take a drink of water and <laughs> I'm open to more, <laughs> but you're going to need to give me a minute. And it's not you. It's just me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I totally, I'm, I'm, I use the humor too. And it doesn't matter who it is. It's like, I can't, it's that it's a deflection, right? Some people get anxiety as a deflection. Some people use shame as a deflection. Um, I use humor often as a deflection or like needing to do more. Let's, let's talk a little bit about like, before we die, like, cause we're going to dive into um, pride month. And, and I want to, I want to hear like a lot about your experiences as a, you know, as coming out and like you finding like yourself in that process. But before we even, before we go there, I just want to talk about you as a coach. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some, some of these things may or may not overlap, but to say, Hey, I'm an executive professional executive life coach and coach trainer, and I'm a sex coach. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like, I love like, man, I want to be a sex coach. <laughs> like <laughs> what, what does it mean to you? Like to Come join the fold, join the community. Um, Well, I'll say this, you know, when I first began coaching, people that I worked with were all entrepreneurs and C-suite sex, period. There are people who began launching their own companies. There are people who had been, you know, working up the ladder and were now like looking for what's next in life. And uh, every single time with every new client I had around the three month mark, the conversation would naturally move to sex. And this really took me aback. I came into coaching thinking I wanted to coach social impact groups and, you know, people leading change in their communities or the world. And uh, what people really sought me out for beyond that was uh, actually creating pleasure in their life and how having that pleasure would actually go back to their businesses, how they change their management style, how they help people who are, you know, in a scarcity context, they're afraid of not performing well or losing their job. But, uh, I like to say that I did not choose to be a sex coach. (laughs) Sex coach very much found me. And after I had so many clients ask me for support around these areas, I actually went and got some additional workshops and training to support people better. So my experience right now is I am hired out still by C-suite execs and couples and individuals alike to help with their business, but also with the bedroom or their adventure and fun elsewhere. Because it really all is connected. So as a sex, like, let's, let's look at this for a second. Like as a sex coach, if someone's working with you as sex coach, are you, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little silly here. You're not like telling them techniques and moves. <laughs> it's not like, Hey, you should try this move with your partner. Um, what is, what does it look like to, to, if somebody were to come to you and like, what does that look like to be a sex coach? Like what kind of conversations are you having and, and what's getting created? Yeah. Well, I will say uh, different flavors of sex coaches are out there. Sure. So there are those who do like the talk therapy version of sex coaching. There are those who do the somatic. They're more hands-on and physical. So I will say you're actually kind of wrong. Like a part of sex coaching is facilitative. I'm like, like where do I where do I sign up for the hands-on <laughs> sex? I'll send you my calendar shortly after this, Alex. Uh, but a part of it really is facilitative, and the the training that I give in a lot of my conversations is actually how do you work with your body to stay present in the moment. So we might talk about breathing techniques or how do you actually move your hand around your partner's body so it actually brings you in the moment as opposed to taking around to your head, your anxiety, whatever helps you, you know, lose 
that presence in the moment. Uh, and then there are just some actual like bodily functions that we just don't get trained up in as youth in America. Like let's talk about anatomy. Let's talk about the different ways that we can orgasm, the different ways that we can create pleasure, the speed of touch that we use. Cause there's a difference between going slow in a way that gets goosebumps and pleasure and going so slow that it actually feels irritating or so quickly that it feels abrasive. Like these are skills we can actually learn. So one part of it is actually, how do you teach it? <laughs> it feels good. How do you explore the client really what their own erogenous zones are? And then the other half is usually the same kind of ontological coaching we do anywhere else. It's what do you want to create? It's who do you want to be? It's what's holding you back. And usually it's a lot of uh, fear or frustration around breakdowns of communications. And this is why what goes on, say, in the boardroom appears in the bedroom or vice versa. Uh, a lot of times when my clients take either like a professional hit to their ego, they'll experience some type of like malfunctioning in their sex life or in their relationships. Or when they endure uh, an ego hit in their relationships, they lose out on someone they really cared for. It shows up in their professional life. So we really hold space for all the entirety of a person. Uh, to really help them get what they want. I love that. And you made me think of something that I want to ask about because I've never, it comes up in in my work with clients. And I've had this a few times in you know my six, seven years as a coach where pornography's come up as a topic with, with my straight, specifically straight male clients and how the watching of pornography impacts their relationships with their wives or their girlfriends. And I've, I've like done let my own looking at this, right. I've read about this I've, and, and I have this, like, there's no good or bad, right? Like things are tools. It's, it's how you use it, but there's also a brain that interprets things in its own ways. And uh, a lot of the conversation I've noticed with, with, again, with these straight male clients is it disrupts the relationship with their partners, not because of their partners, their partners can do their work, but because it starts to create ideas or false things that don't that aren't the experiences they're having in reality and then they start instead of being with the person they're with they're mapping things they saw and we see this with like kids and video games right like violent video games kids don't realize like hey that's not the and it's not a it's not a good or bad it's simply like if we put something in front of our face enough times long enough our brain starts to see that as like what the truth is our brain doesn't know the difference does stuff like that come up in in like the queer community, like, does this, when it, if it like when you're in a, like a male, male relationship, and I don't know if you can speak to like other, but is that a topic that comes up in sex coaching? Oh, all the time. And, uh, you know, it, <laughs> it differs on the individual more so than I'd say entire communities, but mm -hmm. some of the conversations that do come up with queer clients are, you know, a lot of us come from not a lot. There are those of us who come from conservative backgrounds, we're raised in a purity culture, which says that there are things that we can do and that we shouldn't do, one of which is being queer in general, to be frank, watching porn is another one. So a conversation that does come up often is, you know, what is the shame we feel for watching porn, but also for having any interest, desire, kink or fetish outside of what has been taught to us as normative, which because so few people actually talk openly about their kink life or their sex life. Uh, this can really be a huge roadblock. And one of the great things I love about the queer community is we, by and large, <laughs> are grounded in our identity from sex. We seem to be more open 
from my experience, talking about our sex life. So there is some natural community healing that occurs. Um, but other conversations we have are like, how do we use porn to improve our relationships? What does it mean to actually enjoy porn with a partner? Uh, what does it mean to explore different types of sex through porn? So when we actually come to a relationship, we know more of what we want. And like you said, it it really is a tool and I treat porn as such. It's kind of like if, you, if you're making a recipe, you want to put in certain ingredients and some just aren't going to be good for you, right? Based on your past history, yeah. small T, big T trauma, and others are going to be great. So it's about being mindful. Yeah. And it's about the recipe too, right? I like that. It's a good metaphor, right? Like every recipe doesn't have all the same ingredients as the other ones. You can't like just, it's a good, so it's like that, that concept of you can't just cause it works in one area. doesn't mean it works in another, right? You don't, you can't use a hammer for every type of construction. <laughs> no, good um, luck though. That'd be a great art project. I'll get to see that new <laughs> version of Jackson Pollock, but also say like, sometimes we use porn as like a starter. You know, one of yeah. the things I learned through sex coaching that's impacted my personal sex life is like, the best sex doesn't always happen when your libido is hot and horny. And sometimes you need a piece of kindling to get there. And this is when I recommend mm. people find that one erotic memory, that one porno, that erotic fiction piece they read that one time on Tumblr. And uh, do what you need to to get yourself wet or hard. And that actually enables people to have the sex they want with their partner. Yeah. And you say something that's really cool. Cause I think in this, in like the straight, I can, I can, this is this community I can speak to, right? Like in the straight community, sometimes like using something as a starter, people take it as an ego offense, right? Like, is it means something about the other person? And if you, if most of us pause for a minute and we do the work, we, it's, we realize it doesn't have anything to do with the other person. We wouldn't probably wouldn't be in the situation if it had to do with the other person. We're in the situation because we want to be. And that we, I love the idea of a kindling, right? There's nothing wrong with the wood that we're trying to start a fire with, but sometimes like you, you, it's like, you need to start a littler fire to make the bigger fire. And you can't do that with the big wood. Um, it's not, not, no, <laughs> no, I'm not playing with, that's no pun intended. Um, we're going to places there, Alex. I it's, can't wait. It's that is <laughs> but that's a that's a really great idea because I think that's a and I I know for me like in straight relationships sometimes that's a sensitive subject maybe on either side because your people are so concerned with hurting the other person's feelings or what it means about them and you said a, and you said a second ago which is something that I really I want to say I really admire or almost am like jealous about um, you know the like I, I don't I don't know, I don't know how to put it in like the you know, the gay community, I'm just going to say that, or the queer community, because I don't know what, what word to use, um, is that you're right about the openness. It's like a piece of like, there's a, you know, when you're quote unquote straight, there's like a box and it's like a really, it's like, it's a very rigid box. And I think, I think we've talked about this before that nobody, that sexuality is a pair. It's a, it's a scale. It's like, let's say like, you know, um, on one side is as straight as you can be. And on the other side is queer as you can be, but rarely anyone is a one or a 10 people are somewhere on that scale. But if you find yourself on the straight side, you typically are put in a box that you don't have a lot of room for exploration without, to your point, fear, shame, judgment. And it is something I've noticed like over the years, like as I've met more and more people in the queer community, that's like, man, they're so free. They're able to express themselves and not obviously not all of them, right? This is a, um, but you see it, I think more than in the straight community. Um, and I want to ask you, because we've used the word queer like a few times now. And I think like, 
be maybe because you and I, the communities we run in and the people we know, like I like have come to understand like, Hey, that's an, that the word is okay. Right. But there was a time where you, that was like, not an, that was an offensive word. Right. Oh, completely. What, yeah. What does that I mean, mean? What does the word mean to you? Like, what does it mean? And why is it like a word that's accepted now? Yeah, well, it's, it's gone through a so version of Renaissance and I'll share my journey with it. You know, I now identify as queer and pansexual, but like as a teen, I thought I was, gay like as soon as it hit me that i had it knowing that i didn't just like girls and i really had more of an affinity for like men i thought i was gay so you know queer used to be a derogatory word used towards our community and now has become more of a word that we've reclaimed it's more of an umbrella term that's just with anything that is not cisgender or you know heterosexual so people who are non-binary or people who are trans or on any really variation of sexuality outside the norm are invited you know you said before there's a scale from straight to queer there's also uh like asexual people might be hopping off the scale entirely you know we might have someone who's aromantic which means they don't mm -hmm. right have romantic desire but they might be sexual or vice versa so queer is really both this term that gives access to these identities that are othered and helps create a community for us but it also seems to be these days a political identity too um, where queer is really looking at who can we be for all people, for all of us. Because uh, there are a lot of gay white men with a great deal of privilege that might separate themselves from these queer communities where we are working to uplift everyone, including, you know, people of color and indigenous communities and trans individuals, people who really started movements that we've benefited from looking at Stonewall, but have also been left behind in some ways because who ascends society first it's gonna be right the least ostracized so the white cisgender man who's still queer or gay mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of how the terms evolved and where we sit with it right now from my understanding okay, let's tie this to coaching a little bit um how does this how does the like identity conversation how does um like, how, how do you find this? I'm trying to think of how to even say that, like, ask this, like, I don't even, I, I know there's something here. I don't know how to ask the question, but it's like, how does the, your, let's say your empowerment of who you are, your empowerment of your sexual identity um, impact you as a coach and the clients that you work with? Uh, I love that question. And I think the, the greatest way it impacts my clients and why a lot of people hire me is it's really about an empowered journey of curiosity. You know, if anything, we're hired all the time to support a client in their search or their quest for what's really true. What's their authentic self, their authentic desires, and how do they realize that in a space that typically has a lot of rules and shoulds and, and ways that we ought to be that are in conflict with it. Or so our stories tend to be at the top of a new relationship. Uh, so I think for my clients, the, the gift of my queerness really is that there is no one end zone that we're aiming for. And the lesson is never, how do we get to the identity and then stand there? It was how do we continue to own who we be at every step of our evolution? You know, the sexuality is fluid. So there's a lot of our desires in life from when we're younger. We don't want kids when we do want kids when we don't again to when we only want to be a coach, to be a C-suite, to do something else. Um, so I think if anything, it's given me a lot of hands off uh, access to leadership 
at just permission and curiosity that it'd be. And it really also creates a lot of compassion because the queer coaches out there, we've grown up, depending on who you are, I'll speak more to my own experience. I've grown up in a system where I could both be loved and hated in the same neighborhood, you know, be applauded and be damned. And there's a lot of uh, learning and figuring out, you know, how do you set down those stories later on? and pursue what's true to you when it's the thing that's going to send you to hell first off, supposedly, if you believe in that or not. But certainly some stories you have to unwind and put down whether you're in coaching or therapy. Um, and then how do you choose yourself again and again? Because there are a lot of reasons out there to choose outside of ourselves, especially as queer people. So anyone who's out and proud and living and doing this work has really chosen into themselves sufficiently. And that, I think, is a huge clearing for anyone else who is ready to say yes to what's for them and not just what society or their family or their partner says they ought to be going after. I was going to ask you what could the putting, a you know, imaginary quote marks uh, around like, what could the straight community learn from the queer community in the context? And you answered it. Like I was, I had written it down that I wanted to ask like right as I was when you were talking and the thing that I really got was, I love that you said there's not one end zone, that that's like a very straight, like, that's a very straight cisgendered white, like, hey, there's a, there's a result that we're trying to get. And it makes sense in like the capitalistic, you know, world that white men have essentially built, like, hey, this is the result. This is what success means. And what I got from you is like, hey, there's this opening and this clearing that's available way beyond one result. There could be a billion results or so many different results or the results can look so many different ways than you thought they looked. And that and there's a piece of ongoing evolution that seems to stop if there's only one end zone. It doesn't, you know, you, you as a man or a woman or however you identify, it's like, okay, that's it. And what I love about that is that's such a small, that old paradigm or that the, the, what's been the traditional paradigm is like, is it's boring. It's boring to say better, like a better word. And it's, it's also bland. It's a little bleak at times too. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and it's, it's like you either win or you lose kind of right. There's no, there's like, there's, there's nothing else available, which is, I don't know about you, but I know that with my clients straight or queer, otherwise like that one, like the one place they have to get to is usually like not a fun journey to be on. Now, and this is why you know, we have tons of conversations today about like patriarchy, heteronormativity, and like who it really harms and benefits. And like we can be frank and just say like white, straight, cisgender men benefit the most from it. And at the same time, they're cursed by it. Like, is it really working out so great for them? Like, are they really getting all that they want in life? The freedom, the abundance to play, to be authentic, to show up without the stress and anxiety and the, right, the being forced into certain structures? Like, no. And it's not that it even really benefits anyone. It just gives them a leg up in what really is their own prison. So one of the gifts of Curtis, too, is like being open to deconstructing all of that in a way that actually serves everyone. And that even includes your white, cisgender, straight men who we love. You know, I've got no look about my friends in my life who identify that way or who are. But um, like the work of really leveling everybody up and giving everyone access, there's not one person who it harms. It just creates more space to be. And 
hell, that's uncomfortable. I get it. When you have all, the, all that possibility and never before did you have to look outside of your own life, your own world. You never before had a question, what is it that I do really want? Do I really want to be married and have kids? Do I really want to have to do these things? Or do I want to go elsewhere in the world, my life, with my profession? Like it just, uh, there's something unnerving about all that possibility and beautiful equally at the same time. And that's probably also the experience for many queer people when we first begin to acknowledge our identity. It's terrifying and it's wonderful. And then for entrepreneurs, realize we have a calling to help heal or to help coach it's unnerving and it's beautiful and it's not clearly defined how for any of us tired of presentations with no impact no inspiration and no traction do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones christopher mcculloch brings energy insights and two decades of experience delivered with punch humor and heart your team will leave energized uplifted and with a sense of purpose Visit ChristopherMcCulloff.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcCulloff.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Let's talk about like the being with in the challenge, in like challenging situations. Um, you shared, you know, in the community you just grew up in, or not just grew up in, but the community that you were raised in, it's like there's this side that you're totally accepted, and then there's this other side that not at all. And obviously in the world, it's the same, right? Like you, there's going to be, you live in D.C., I think, right? Yeah, live in super, gay, super queer, queer capital of America, basically. I, I didn't know that. All right. So, but but you live, I think like any major city in the United States, is going to be more flexibility and more space and more acceptance. And then as you get into more rural, you're, it's going to go, it's going to, again, the it's a scale, right? It's going to slide. Um, And same thing I would say in like, in certain businesses, right? Some businesses are like overwhelmingly accepting and encouraging even. And then there's others that are like, they want to keep the status quo. How do you, how do you personally, or even support people as a coach who are, you know, opening up to their queer identity or exploring things that are outside the traditional box? Like how are, how do you support yourself or or go about that? Or how do you support them to be able to be with that? Everybody isn't right. We can't make anyone accept us, right? Like we don't, we just don't have that power. So how do we be with the people that are stuck in kind of an old, the older and right. This doesn't just apply to sex. We could apply this to a million different things, but Mm -hmm. what's your, what's your kind of philosophy or outlook on how do we be with people that just see the world? Like 
in let's just say an older or a more conservative way. Yeah. Well, I'll share a brief story first because you know people ask me how my coming out was, and it was okay. It, you know, could have gone better in a few different ways. But coming out as a life coach to my family when I first began this work was far more difficult and they had a huge reaction. They didn't believe it was a real job. They're like, what? Chris, like, are you going to do crystals? Like, what are you, what are you on basically that you at the age of 25 are going to be life coaching people? And, uh, you know, four years later, they're thrilled with the work I do and they're absolutely elated. But the lesson I've learned, and I think the one that answers your question is, uh, we can love and accept people for where they're at and not let them stop us. And I think that's part of the work that we take on as we begin to explore more of our identities openly and sharing with people is acknowledging that there are going to be our people for where we're at to affirm, to acknowledge, to support. And it's really important to actually look for those and create those relationships and go to the watering holes where we can really be uplifted, be it a co-training program or a queer space or, you know, a mastermind or tribe, wherever, like find those people. And that gives me personally so much more sourcing when it comes to actually being with those who are not yet there or those who they communicate their love to me through voicing their fear. You know, starting a business can be risky. Why not have a safe job? Why would you want to do this? There's no certainty. Uh, and ever since I started, I've never really had a want for more in my life, which I'm very grateful for. You know, business has been great. It's been fun and fulfilled. Um, but it's the same thing with coming out with an open identity that's different from the norm. Why make life more difficult? How do we even know? So find your tribe first off is one way to support yourself in being with those who are not yet there. And secondly, acknowledge them for where they're coming from, right? We don't have to agree with it, but there might be love laced with fear. Uh, it might just be a misunderstanding, right? It might be ignorance. And we can will them to change and we can tell ourselves that they should be somewhere else. And, you know, there are desires and feelings that are valid, but um, it's their journey. And it's not always ours to take them by the hand and force them over. So patience is a virtue. I'm a fire sign. I am not the most patient man <laughs> in the world, to say the least. I'd rather sprint my way through most of life. Uh, but that, I think, is one of the, the biggest values when it comes to being around people who are not yet where we are, which is to grant themselves patience and to grant ourselves the space to actually be supported by those who are. Let's look at the, like, let's take this bigger to, like, the what's happening like in the United States right now, you know, and like has been happening for, I don't know, a few, a year, a few years, whatever, but what it's, I want to say what's really come to the surface since Donald Trump became president. Um, how do we, like, how do we, how do you think that we need to, as coaches, let's look at it from like a coaching perspective. How do coaches need to navigate the, the, I don't know, the rocky, unpaved ground that we kind of are, where like you have one segment of, of society seemingly, right? I'm, again, I'm generalizing a little bit, being like so open to change and so progressive. And then you have this other component where that are that are really committed to going back, like keeping things the way they were um, and they, that want things to stay the same. Um, mm -hmm. How do you navigate that as a coach with clients who are, who are all, I'm sure you have clients that are, that have to deal with that all the time. Yeah. Well, I have clients who had to deal with that all the time. And I have had clients before who have voted for Trump and in those conversations themselves. And so I think, you know, one of the places to look is really what are people's big C commitments? 
And I don't have that people <clears throat> are really committed to wanting things to go back to the way they were. I think people are committed to the desire to feel safe or to feel seen or to feel like they actually have an opportunity, which they thought they had growing up and seems to have slipped through their fingers completely. I mean, you go into the communities who devoted for Trump and I you know, drive through my home state of Pennsylvania all the time. I can say that there are, there's pain. And I think that pain has been cultivated and uh, angled in a way that, you know, led to them voting for Trump and they have needs to be met. So I think the conversation for all of us really is looking at, um, you know, we talk all the time about self-care. I think it's time to talk about communal care and who are we actually being as a community and a society that helps us heal in a much bigger way that actually works to get everyone's needs met. And, you know, I've yet to meet a client who has ever not had an either or context. And this is our either or context or, you know, putting things against each other uh, at a much larger scale. So the work of coaching, I think, applies across the board to how to actually embrace our whole humanity collectively and individually and pursue solutions that really serve all of us. Um, and then when we have the in-between for the families, you know, who have some people who voted for Trump and those who didn't vote for Trump, you know, we can continue to be at odds and damn each other's character for the stories we make up about it, or we can connect around what truly is underneath it all. Um, which I'll be transparent. I have not had the easiest of time doing, you know, I take it as a huge front or used to take it as a huge front when, you know, people I knew near and dear to me voted for someone who passed laws and supported, you know, basically a legislature that would really change and harm me, my life and those in my community, especially uh, trans individuals and, and queer women of color. Um, that's not acceptable to me. And I can hold that while still doing the work to see beneath it all and, and really connect with their hearts. It's not easy. It's a practice. I opt out of it. <laughs> I'm not making up every day saying, okay, today I'm going to have that conversation. But there are days when I do. And uh, I think for me, the work is even to, to lean in more um, so that we do have those conversations. Because as coaches, we're probably some of the most practice and skilled in that space uh, compared to maybe the average individual. I'm like, I'm right there with you. It is not, this is, it's been one of the most challenging times, like, right. Like me personally, not being in the queer community, but I want to say like being an ally, being somebody who like wants every human being to have all of their rights. Like if you're not hurting anyone, you, I think everyone should go to do whatever they want. Right. And I think like, however that, whatever that means to express yourself and be who you think you are. I love that we live in a world where we literally can make up who we are that's such a cool thing i recently read that like the word gender like where the word gender come from comes from is latin and it means to invent it doesn't mean anything about sexuality it means to 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 create and, and generate something and that it's it's kind of ironic that right we it what it actually means is what we're actually doing with it now mm -hmm. um but i can say like from the same like there's no right way in the sense of over the last few years like i've been in relationships romantically with someone who i would say would probably identify as queer and someone who would identify as a probably pretty far right conservative and the same problems they existed in the relationship with both of them um you know different different sides of like the scale right and and whatnot but having to be with 
um, just different beliefs and different attitudes and right. And, and, and everyone thinking that they're right. Right. To me, that's a big one is like, we're, we're really committed to being right. All of us on, on all, on the whole scale and off the scale, um, which I find like one of the most challenging things to be and to your point, like to practice, to be somebody who tries to practice not being right, but also having a stand for, you know, everyone having rights and being, and being as free as we can be. Um, it's really challenging. It's a really challenging space to stand in as a, as a human being, as a coach, you know, as a partner in a relationship. Yeah. We're not trained how to do it as a kid, right? We're learning to agree or disagree, right? Mm -hmm. To support or to rebel and to, to seek to understand it in a relationship. Like these are sex coaching and relationship coaching conversations for sure, but to seek first to understand and then to also stand for your boundaries needs to be met when there is a misalignment, we welcome to a fundamental tension across the board. And even when we look at entrepreneurs running our businesses, right? And we're looking to understand what it is that we truly need and also where are the ways we've crossed our own boundaries or haven't stood for them. So, you know, this is a skill that I think we just collectively need more practice in. Welcome to the work. The work never stops. If you're listening, mazel, <laughs> more work ahead. I hope you're ready. Uh, we'll get you some coffee to get you going. But um, it's also just something that when you practice it in one area, it impacts every single other area of your life. And for some of those conversations, you know, we might end up practicing and, and walking away. This is not for us. And I have many people in my community who have practiced and have walked away from family members or from past uh, friends or communities because the other side was unwilling. And I want to validate that that's also a choice and completely kosher. You know, we don't have to continue to beat our head against a wall where people are unwilling to embrace our humanity, but we're willing to embrace theirs. But uh, the work is to actually at least try and then to find a way to keep going regardless. I think one of the, um, one of the most helpful things in my experience of being with humans that's helped me like continue to open and be more and more open with, with all the different kinds of people is to understand what it's like to like be them. Right. I can never know. Like, I don't, I will never know what it's like to be a black man in America. Impossible. I can't, there's no, there's no experience I can have that would be like, that's what it's like. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like there's no experience. Like the black man can't know what it's like to be me. Right. It's, it's, this works across the board. We can't know what it's like to be a woman. But one of the things I like to, that I've, that's created so much empathy and compassion for me, which I think if we all had a lot more of, we would just be better humans to each other and more kind and more accepting is to actually ask these questions is to look at like, you know, with someone like you who, right. We're, we're similar in, in a bunch of ways. And then there's other ways that we're not. And to say like, Hey, what is it like to be in Craig Cassie's shoes as a queer man in America? Like, what do you experience that if we were, if, you know, if, if somebody was listening to this, who's, who doesn't have a relationship with you, doesn't know you, doesn't know people in the queer community, it's like, what would you want them to know about your experience that, that like, they might not ever experience? Wow. It's a tough what a softball the question, Alex. Right. I'm like, <laughs> Let's go. I'm sitting, I'm sitting here thinking like, where do I begin? What would be most impactful? <laughs> Let me I mean, you can't get, you can't get it wrong, but I think, right. It's like every people are going to hear what they're going to hear. But I think like, for me, like understanding, like asking people of color that and of, of different, you know, sexual identities has got me to be like, wow. I, I mean, the easiest, like, 
when I, when I, when you, when I talked to my coach, you, you know, Mark Hunter um, and him and I had a conversation like this and we talked about like what it's like to just drive a car as a black man. Right. And like what goes through his head. And it's like, man, that is not my experience driving a car. Right. But it, it lends me to see like, whoa, what if it was right? That's that's. And so it's that kind of thing. Like, what, what about for you? Like, what do you what's the experience that you would want someone like me that to understand? Yeah. So, you know, my mind really goes into the black and white of like, what are some really positive and also like negative or apprehensive experiences I've had to like clarify where we're at in America? And so I'll say, you know, I, when I go back to my home state in Pennsylvania, uh, I do pack different clothes. When I go to the beach with my family in New Jersey, I pack different clothes. And, you know, I don't have the most gay waddle in the world, as my friends would affectionately call it, but I present pretty gay, you know, even with my beard and my hat, like I'm a, I'm a queer man who shows up pretty queer. Um, and so there are times, no matter where I am, where I still am called things like faggot or I do have people follow me on the street at night, or I go home and, you know, there are people in our local grocery store at Acme who will look or who will like, you know, stare. And it's not a warm and inviting feeling, you know? And so this is like a part of the reality is why I choose to live in a city like DC. Yeah. So I was, I was talking about the dinner that I went out to the other night that it was, uh, you know, someone, we started this conversation, um, and I got taken out to this dinner by, uh, another man, he just got engaged, you know, he's living, but we're sitting across from each other and we have this little table at this fancy restaurant. And I, I'm very like, I'm, I'm always aware of like what's happening around. I think part of it is like curiosity and interest. And part of it is, um, like uh, self-consciousness about like how I show up and what I look like. And it's like old patterns. And as we were sitting there, I noticed two or three tables that were around us. were trying to figure out, were we together? Was it like what? And, and cause I over, I like overheard some conversation and like, I was mm-hmm. noticing some looks and I didn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a, I don't care. I don't know who these people are. They can think whatever they want. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I had the thought of, this is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm like, I'm a little self-conscious. Like, what do they, you know, what are they thinking? What stories are they making up? Why does it even matter? And, um, and even not right. Being in those, in your shoes, it's like having that like little moment of experience where you're like, somebody's following you, watching you, looking at you. That's just not what it's like to be me. Most of the time, if somebody's watching me, looking at me, they're probably going to hit on me. And that's a different kind of watching and looking than what you're sharing. Oh yeah. I do not like being pursued on my way home <laughs> community oh. with people who might be threatening or have already shouted, you know, profanities at me. Sure. But on the flip side too, you know, it's not just all that. Like there are spaces where I'm able to walk in. I feel like I have more access to who I really am because yes. I am queer. You know, I get to show up without a lot of the rules that I see uh, my straight family members feel like they fall into, or even my straight friends from growing up. You know, I got to put down a lot of stories a lot earlier on with like how life had to be and how life has to go for me. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why in our community, you see polyamory as a conversation that is so much more common, which I think is a conversation a lot more people could benefit from. I'm not saying you have to have three girlfriends or three boyfriends, but like open relationships where if you're apart, you're able to get your needs met and still cherish relationship and really take down the stories of what it means to have 
you know, sex outside of it. Like I shared at first the negative fear, you know, the way that I show up where there are still risks and I'm, you know, feeling unsafe or I'm very hyper aware and that, you know, is a tax on my mental capacity sometimes. But on the flip side, I also get all this permission to actually look in and say, hey, what is for me? You know, I'm in a happy, open relationship right now. And I know spiritually, I meant to be more open or more polyamorous in the future with the different kinds of ways that I do communicate love and support for all those around me. Um, so there's also a lot of the gratitude that I have there for my queerness because I got to just sidestep a lot of bullshit, which just because of where it's attributed to or the labels people who have it forced upon them are, uh, wasn't me or wasn't mine to hold. We have talked about like so much, so many good things around your business coaching, the queer community, your experiences. We haven't touched that much on like Pride Month specifically, like what it means, how, you know, how, what you do, do you do anything different? Those kind of things. Um, I want to take the last, at least the last couple of minutes or take a minute to like, just talk about that for a second. Um, For you, what is, what does Pride Month represent? Like, what's it, what's it quote unquote for? Um, and do you, is there anything that's different for you? Or is it like, Hey, pride month is just a month for everyone else. And I'm doing pride month all year long. <laughs> uh, I feel more like the latter is probably the most authentic truth for me, especially given how I show on my social media. I'm super out loud about my queerness and my, and my life and the way in which I share it. And I invite other people in, in that regard, but you no know, pride began as a protest. And <laughs> I didn't receive it at first that way as a kid. I viewed it as a celebration. I viewed it as a, a space to actually meet people who were like me because I didn't have a huge community growing up. But now when I look back at it and how I engage with it today, I really look at Pride as a, as a way to, to move forward the work, right? Which is saying we're here, we're queer, and also there's more work for us to do. And, you know, dismantling the same systems that led us to where we were the last four years uh, to creating access to the kind of resources we all need up and down the socioeconomic you know, status of the queer community. Um, and beyond that, also now working with all these corporations. Hell, Target has like a five-piece queer suit. It's like a hideous and delightful rainbow attire you can buy for $10.99. And so if Target's even on the ball right now, there's more space for us to have these conversations around what it means to be queer and capitalism and how do we receive support and also challenge these corporations who want to fly a pride flag every year who still support politicians who are voting against our rights. Like that's kind of the conversation that pride is in right now. How do we welcome it all, but also challenge everyone to keep moving forward. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's such a, we can, that same conversation exists in so many arenas, right? Like industries that we look at as like being healthy, but then they are, you know, putting money into politicians that are, you know, destroying our food or our environment or whatever. Um, that's a really great, that's a really great point. It's like the next evolution, right? The game keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And bigger and inviting more people into it. Like that's yeah. the the beauty of pride. I think is we've expanded so much in who's engaged with it. And that's why we have the space to do this more work to really challenge these corporations to who, if they're going to support the community, support the full community. And not just support for one month the people who either fit in or are more uh, seemingly appeasing to a mass interest. Like, if you're going to support the queer community, do it. 
and then don't give 200 grand to some people who want to see us wiped off the map in the next month. Yeah. And I think that you actually just bring up a good point too, because it's something that I know about, you know, whether they be like a pride festival, a March, uh, the month as a celebration is you don't actually have to be queer or identify as queer in any way to actually take part in it. Everyone, anyone is accepted um, and welcome. Completely. And that goes into kings and fetishes too. Like the beauty of pride is really all around uh, people bringing their authenticity, their full expression. And that's why I think the overlap of coaching also falls. But coaching has so few <laughs> direct aims that we stand for. And one of my, my clients is always to be fully expressed in their entirety, no matter what that looks like. You're a straight woman into some kink play or an entrepreneur going in a new direction. <laughs> it's all wonderful and valid. And it's getting me choked up, apparently. <laughs> thanks for um thanks for having this like vulnerable, open conversation letting me you know like trip over some things share some things ask some things um and like we could there's so much more we have like an you know less than an hour an hour to dive into something that's obviously a much bigger topic so getting into the the just the surface um is there anything you want to leave people with anything that you haven't got to say anything that you want to share before we we wrap up today you know nothing off the top of my mind but for anyone who is listening, who is looking to do more of this work, if you are, uh, you know, not queer, looking to get engaged in any of these conversations, I recommend that you do it. You know, searching through, there been some beautiful Pride playlists recently, and Netflix has her own Pride uh, movie rollout, basically. So some great ways to engage with communities who are not your own, uh, especially if you do not want to tap your local friendly queer is to actually engage with these biographies, these movies that really detail our experiences. So you can really bring your hands to what is both the, the triumph and the fight that we have. And beyond that, just an invitation that, uh, you know, watching these videos, these movies, engaging with really our, our stories and our history is a great way to, uh, to expand your understanding, to really grow the empathy that we need the world to have. And this goes across any group. I think the lesson we've really taken away, especially in the last few years from the Black Lives Matter movement, really taking hold on public discourse is uh, there's so much space to do the work on our own without needing to lean on the people inside the community to educate us. And that's really the ask because we have one month out of the year to educate, to share, to, you know, really tell these images. But the work needs to be every month beyond that and every day beyond that, too. Uh, so there is no chocolate who's left behind and there is a, a mass clearing for more queerness, whether you're straight and looking to break the mold in your own business or whether you have an inkling that you have interests that lie outside of the mainstream. Thanks for, um, just thanks for being here and sharing all this. Um, thanks for being, you know, who you are. I love who you are out loud in the world. Um, you're, it, it, it seems like the filter that most people would have around a lot of topics you've done a really powerful job of taking down and simply able to share who you are, what you believe and not, you know, you do it with some levity, you do it with some play. Um, you make it accessible and open and funny. Um, so I really, I really encourage people to go find you, check out what you're up to. Um, 
they can go to your, your Instagram is great. It's Craig Cassie Jr. C-A-S-S-I, sorry, C-A-S-S-E-Y. Um, and then your website is Craig, C-A-S-S-E-Y.com. Um, a tribute to your dad. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, people should definitely go, to, you know, to find out more about you. And um, yeah, thanks. A, thanks a lot for uh, for stepping in for me when I'm not able to co-host with Christopher, but letting us kind of put you on the spot today and, uh, you know, learn more about you, your life and Pride Month and the queer community. I got a lot out of this. Thanks a lot, Greg. It's been fun. It's been a blast. Thank you as always for having me. And Christopher, if you're listening, we miss you, but not that much. Feel free to go on another vacation. This is fun for me. <laughs> I'll hop right back on. <laughs> um, everyone listening, thank you for being with us. Um, this is another episode of The Coaching Show, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.